If you have a Bible or some kind of technology that has a Bible app on it, open up to Matthew 21. Uh, go get a Bible if you don't have one. If you're sitting there and you're like, ah, oh, the, the, the verses will be up on the screen. Most of these scriptures will not be on the screen today because of the way that the sermon's formatted. You're gonna need your Bible to refer to it. So even if you guys got it, ones right here on your phones or whatever, you're probably gonna need this to look down at. Matthew 21, I'm gonna read and preach from the NIV. So if you have an option to use an NIV, the New International Version, that would be best. Make sure you have that out because like I said, we're gonna refer to it several times and need you to read it there with me. Matthew 21, uh, starting in verse one. Sorry, it might say, yeah, there we go. Starting in verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, or some people, as some people say, Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Here's what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those who selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of God, they were indignant. It means they were mad, very mad. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you heard or haven't you read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. You are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. You are the one who doesn't just promise, but you keep your promises. And you are the one who is here right now in our midst. And so we open our ears and our hearts we ask that you would calm every mind at home. I, I speak in Jesus' name, peace to every home, every family with kids. I'm just imagining my own house. Every family with kids, peace in Jesus' name. We ask that you would open our ears, Lord, to hear everything you want to say to us from this passage. Thank you that you came, Jesus. Amen. 
So this was the year uh, 30 AD. I'm sorry, 33 AD, right? And during 33 AD, uh, Rome had conquered Greece and what would become France and Spain and parts of Northern Africa and most of the Middle East, including Israel. And so Israel is living under this weight of the Roman government. There was no national king for Israel at the time and the national religious leaders, as Jesus said in Matthew 23, were crushing the people with unbearable religious demands and never lifting a finger to ease the burden from them. So even their religion is providing no help for them. So there's political, social, religious oppression. It was a hard time. It was a hard time in Israel. So you can imagine how wonderful the thought of a new king must have been to them, especially if he was the kind of king that God described in Isaiah 42, where it said, uh, in faithfulness, this king, the Messiah, will bring justice to the nations as they're living in this crazy turmoil nation. Elsewhere, it says things like, uh, he, will, he will restore the brokenhearted. If you're a king, and that's what your kingdom is like, then it's like, yes, We want that kingdom right now, right here, especially in the crazy turmoil that they were in, right? But up until this point, Jesus hadn't explicitly um, pronounced his kingship. He hadn't hadn't explicitly said that he was a king. In fact, he was telling people a lot of times, like, don't tell anybody that I just did that. But on Palm Sunday, he left nobody wondering as he very publicly declared without question who he was and what he was here to do. So the message today is very simple. I have nothing really honestly profound to say. Um, I I just want us to like, I I want us to see Jesus. Like these people saw Jesus. Guys, we just, we need him in our world. (sighs) Maybe more than we ever have right now. And I, I, Lord, help us to see Jesus. And I'd like to answer three questions in our text today. Um, Number one, who is he? Number two, very simply, why did he come? And number three, how then can we respond to him? First of all, who is he? Um, Jesus is very explicit with his actions here, so he doesn't, he doesn't leave us wondering. And he's, he's actually wanting to communicate a very specific thing about his identity. Uh, it starts in the beginning of the passage, our passage in Matthew 21. So again, refer to your Bibles here, where he sends two of his disciples into town to get him a donkey. Okay, look at your Bible, verse two of Matthew 21. He says to the disciples, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Okay, now this not, may not seem strange, but it is strange. The disciples have been walking with Jesus for three years And Jesus was like your neighbors in quarantine right now. He walked everywhere every day. You know, you just would see people walking. Like, I'm like, dude, that dude never walked before, but he's walking right now. That was, Jesus walked everywhere. He He didn't take donkeys into Jerusalem. John tells us he had been to Jerusalem a couple of times. He never took a donkey into, why is he telling his disciples now? And he's just right outside of town. He's like a few miles away because he had just risen Lazarus from the dead, a few miles outside of town. It's like a 30 minute, 40 minute, 50 minute walk. But he has them go get a donkey. Why does Jesus uh, make it a a mandate, if you will, that he rides in on a donkey? Well, Matthew tells us in the next couple of verses in verse four and five, this took place 
to fulfill that which was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, that is Israel, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Jesus rode into town on a donkey because he needed to fulfill this messianic prophecy that the Messiah would enter in, not on foot, not on a horse like he will come back someday, but on a donkey. Jesus was pronouncing his kingship to the Jewish people in a Jewish context to a Jewish people who would have understood what he was doing and what it meant, namely that he was the Messiah, that he was the coming king. So who is he? He is the king. Just say it out loud. He's the king. He's the king. That's right. At home, say it out loud. He's the king. He's the king. Okay. And the king is on the move. Okay. He's on the move toward his final acts of victory over sin, death, and the devil. Who is he? He's the king. That was a very short one. This next one is not short. Uh, Second question is, why did he come? Well, there's four reasons I want us to see in this text. Uh, This donkey prophecy from Zechariah 9 gives us the first two clues as to why he came. Uh, I'll read it. Zechariah 9, it'll be up on the screen. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey. Righteous and victorious. It's actually one word in uh, in the Greek and in the Hebrew where it was quoted from. Uh, and the word here um, that's translated victorious, it can be translated victorious or saving. Um, and so some of your translations may actually say endowed with salvation. Maybe the most proper translation of this, um, Zechariah 9.9, is he comes to you endowed with victorious salvation, humble and lowly riding on a donkey. What is he here to do? Zechariah tells us he's here to bring victory and salvation. And that's the first thing. He came to bring victory. If you're at home, you're here, say it out loud. Victory. 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 Megan, you didn't say it. Say it out loud. Victory. 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 There you go. Did you see how the people welcomed him into town, right? There's this victorious thing. Check it out in verses eight and nine. The crowds are going before him. The crowds are behind him. Okay, so they're surrounding him. There's like this procession. And then the people who are on the sides of the road are uh, taking off their outer cloaks, their garments, and putting them on the ground. And other people are tearing off what John tells us is palm branches, which is where we get our Palm Sunday uh, name from. And they're putting them on the ground, essentially creating this like red carpet, right? They're giving him the royal treatment uh, for a victorious king. This is the kind of... Um, uh, procession and welcome that you would give to a king who came back from war victorious, like riding all pompous on his horse. His sword's got blood on it still, right? There's this crazy procession. Everyone's singing like, you're victorious. What's crazy about this is Jesus hasn't actually conquered anything yet. The people, without even knowing it, are affirming what is already true about Jesus and what he's about to do, that he is already the victor and he is about to show everyone the victory in his death and resurrection. And so there is in this kind of a a prophetic, joyous, uh, looking forward and foresight to what's about to happen just a few days from now on Easter when Jesus will rise from the dead. And so he came to bring victory. Victory over what? Uh, We looked at it the last three weeks. Um, Victory over sin. 
Victory over the troubles of the world. Last week, Billy talked about victory over the devil. Next week on Easter, we're going to talk about victory over death. The second reason he came is he came to bring salvation. Everyone, including Megan, say salvation. Salvation. Are you saying it over there, Amy? Yes, I am. Okay. I just hear a lot of guys' voices. <laughs> um, he came to bring salvation. It's not only in our, our Zechariah passage, because that word um, really means like uh, endowed with victorious salvation, but um, it's also in the worship song that the people are singing, right? In verse nine of our passage, check it out. Hosanna to the son of David. It says they are shouting, but this is a song. So I imagine they're probably like, they're singing so loud that it sounds like they're shouting because this is a psalm that they used to sing. It was like a historic worship song that the people of Israel sang. So they're shouting this out, Hosanna to the son of God. I'm sorry, to the son of David. Uh, that phrase, son of David, it just refers to um, somebody who would come from the lineage of David and then would sit on the throne of who was their most beloved king in Israel, King David. But the word Hosanna literally means, Lord, please save us now. Lord, please, they're shouting, God, please save us. Lord, they're stating it to Jesus. Lord, please save us now. That's what Hosanna means. It's a direct quote from the worship song of Psalm 118. Uh, one of the things that I kind of grieve the most as my kids are getting older is that um, they've kind of stopped calling me daddy. And it seems as they are becoming more self-sufficient that they've started to call me dad. And uh, here's what I still get every so often though. Dad, help me. Dad, I need you. Who do we say that kind of thing to? We say that kind of thing to somebody that we have confidence can actually make good on our request, who can actually help us. Lord, help us. Lord, save us, they said. There was no political solution that could rescue these people, no religious leader, no amount of money or success or innovation. They needed King Jesus. And it's a good thing because Jesus came to save them. But he didn't only come to save them. Listen to the context of Zechariah. Jesus knew this context when he wrote it on a donkey. I'll put it up on the screen. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly riding on a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Not a nation, the nations. He will, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river, that is the river Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't only come for that nation. He came for this nation. And wherever you're from, wherever your people are from, wherever you're watching this from, I know there's people in Northern Africa right now tuning into this live stream. He came for that nation too. And he came for every individual in every single nation on this planet. They cried out, Lord, save us now, please. Because whether they fully understood the implications of that or not, he was the only one that could save them and he's the only one that can save us. He is a savior who came to bring salvation. Next, 
He came to give us access. Everybody say it out loud. Access. Access. What's the first thing that Jesus did when he got into town? Because it tells us a lot about why he came. It's, I mean, it's like he comes into town and then verses 12 and 13 of our passage, it says, Jesus immediately entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is angry Jesus, right? We don't get angry Jesus. We like hippie Jesus. We don't get angry Jesus very often. There's only a few times when Jesus gets angry and he only gets this angry right here. So what about this situation makes Jesus so angry then? Well, if you read the whole Bible from beginning to end, you will see that God's intention for humanity was always to be in relationship with him. Because God knows that in him and in relationship with him is the only place that our souls are fully satisfied. And because God loves us, he wants our souls to be fully satisfied. And so it was always his goal for us to be with him. Sin separated us from him. And so before Jesus died to take away our sin, the temple was the main place that you would go to be with God and to pray to him. And uh, what is prayer if not intimate communion with God? My father's house, Jesus said, the temple shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. He was quoting what God said in Isaiah 56, another proclamation of his kingship, as he said, my father's house. He said, I am the son of God, right? God is after intimacy, And these money changers uh, were in the temple and they were preventing people from coming into the temple uh, or coming to God rather by basically forcing the outsiders because they're in the outside court, the Gentile court and the poor people, forcing them to purchase these outrageously priced uh, approved sacrificial animals from the temple. They were basically charging a cover charge for people to go to church. And Jesus was not having it. He was about to pay the price for our full access backstage passes, right? That we just get to carry with us all the time. He was not having what these money changers and the religious leaders were doing here. It's why Jesus went to the cross. To take away the barrier sin that separated us from God and to give us unrestricted access to him because it is in that place that our souls are fully satisfied. Why did Jesus come? He came to give us access to God. It is right here. It's the first thing Jesus does when he comes into uh, town. Lastly, he came to bring healing. Everyone say that out loud. Healing. Healing. It's in verse 14. Check it out in the Bibles that you have in your hands. So right after this, it's like... (laughs) The tables are still like bouncing. It seems like the money changers are like, what just happened? Jesus, we just saw angry Jesus. Uh, People are like walking out with their heads hung, like, you know, embarrassed of everything. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. My father's house should be a house of prayer. Immediately, verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. What was Jesus doing here? Well, first of all, he's, he's showing us what his kingdom's like. It is a kingdom of restoration and healing. But second, Jesus was making another proclamation about his kingship. 
In Luke 7, when John the Baptist was in prison for baptizing people, he told his followers, go ask Jesus if he's the coming king, if he's the Messiah. And Jesus sends a word back to John and says, go and report to John what you hear and see. Namely, that the blind receive sight and the lame walk. In other words, John, the answer to your question, if I'm the coming king, is in the fact that I am healing blind people and lame people. In other words, yeah, John, I'm the king. Why does the healing of the blind and lame mean Jesus is the king? Because in Isaiah 35, it describes the coming kingship of the Messiah like this. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come to save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the lame will leap like deer. Why did Jesus come? He came to bring healing, and in this healing, there is a proclamation of his kingship. Friends, Jesus came as the king to bring victory, to bring salvation, to give us access, and to bring healing. We are living in an unprecedented time. We're going to get through this, but it's not going to be over tomorrow. we got a ways to go, right? You've been watching the news. There's going to be a lot more people that are going to get sick. 35,000 new cases of coronavirus in the United States yesterday. Many more people will get sick, and sadly, many more people will die. Like the people living in first century Israel, there is a lot in our world that we could ask Jesus to save us from, to give us some like temporary relief. Hosanna, Lord, save us, they said. They knew they needed a savior, but uh, they didn't realize that they needed a different kind of savior. They, they thought what they really needed was a savior from their political and social oppression. But Jesus didn't come to break chains of political and social oppression, although he may do that sometimes. He came to break chains of spiritual oppression. And when he physically healed someone, yes, it was a sign of compassion, but it was ultimately pointing to the eternal spiritual healing that he was wanting to bring. Because who cares if my body's healed, right? if my soul is gonna be destroyed in eternity. You think COVID-19 is bad? The virus of sin will destroy your earthly and eternal life. Jesus didn't come to give us temporary salvation. He came to give us eternal salvation. What Jesus knew that the people didn't fully understand when they gave him this victor's welcome in was that he was there to win a war victorious, but it wasn't with their political, social, even religious oppressors. Jesus was there to win the war against sin, death, and the devil. And he didn't ride in on a horse with his chest puffed. He wasn't there to sit on a throne. He was there to sacrificially give up his life. His weapon wasn't a sword, it was a cross. And when he was finished, he would possess a victory that could not be taken away. Jesus today declares that he is king to us. And though we may enjoy the benefits of some relief he may give us on earth, what we really need is eternal relief and eternal hope. 
And for those of us who choose him now, he promises an eternity where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more sadness, where there will be no more suffering or sickness or death or disease or quarantine or COVID-19. In his first coming, he came to lay down his life to give us access to him in his kingdom, but we only see it in part right now. When he comes the second time, on a horse, not a donkey, by the way, he's coming to seal the deal and fully manifest that perfect kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That is our hope, and that's the kind of hope we need. We need hope in Jesus that is eternal. So how do we respond to this victorious, healing Savior who has given us unrestricted access to God and hope beyond this earth? Very briefly here, how can we respond? We respond with surrender and praise. Say surrender and praise. Surrender and praise. We respond with surrender. We see this beautiful picture in these people taking off their cloaks and laying them at the feet of Jesus. The cloak was the outer garment. It was, uh, you took it off and you were exposed. It was kind of a safety net for people. I personally believe that the degree to which we come into God's presence open-hearted and open-handed is often the degree to which we can receive from him. It's hard to receive with your fists closed. We need Jesus right now, and so I'm encouraging you to lay down your cloaks of self-preservation and self-reliance, your safety nets. Jesus walks on top of those things which we think bring us security and protection. Let go of earthly things and comforts so that the king of glory might enter into your life in a profound way once again today. In the midst of their chaotic world, basically every person here missed what Jesus was trying to do. They didn't, they didn't get it. I don't want us to miss what Jesus is trying to do and wanting to do in our midst because we're holding on to some earthly thing or distracted by something. So we respond with surrender and we can respond with praise. The people surrounding Jesus that day, they, they, surround, I'm sorry, they surrounded him with shouting songs of praise and they didn't even know what he was about to do. How much more should we surround Jesus today with songs of praise who know exactly what he has done? Circumstances are crazy, things are unknown, emotions are running hot, but none of that changes his worthiness or his character. So today, let's respond to him, not according to how we feel or how we think, but according to who he is. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. King Jesus, you were moving long before we were here. You will be moving long after we're gone. Right now, you are also moving. And we trust and surrender to you and you're moving. We trust your character. We trust your plan. We acknowledge in every single home, we acknowledge that you are the king on the throne and we confess that we need you, Lord. We say, Hosanna, Lord, help us. Lord, save us. And we need saving for more than just like our present circumstances. We need it for ever. 
need you. Our hearts need you. Our world needs you. So where you're at, let's just quiet our hearts. We're going to respond in singing right now. Before we do that, I, uh, I want to say a few phrases here. Ab, if it's not too much work, maybe you could just put the phrase, King of Glory, enter in on the bottom of the screen. It's okay if not. I'm going to say a phrase, and then I, I want you to respond, if you're in this room or at home, wherever, with the phrase, King of Glory, enter in. I'm going to say something, and then you're going to respond with, King of Glory, enter in. Okay, here we go. In our fears, King, King of, of Glory, glory enter in. In the unknowns, King of Glory enter in. In our families, King of Glory enter in. Maybe just put out your hands as if you were receiving him, as if you were receiving the King of Glory into your home and your life and all these things I'm saying here. Say that one again. In our families, King of Glory enter in. In our relationships, King of Glory enter in. Say it out loud like you really want him to enter in. In our homes, King of glory, enter in. In our cities, King of glory, enter in. In our neighborhoods, King of glory, enter in. In our government, King of glory, enter in. In our physical bodies, King of glory, enter in. In our minds, King of glory, enter in. In our emotions, King of glory, enter in. In our nation, King of glory, enter in. In the nations, King of glory, enter in. In our world, King of glory, enter in. In this moment, King of glory, enter in. 